G'day everyone, editing Matt here. As we'll talk about in this episode, Kate and I recorded this one in person while I was visiting over east. Uh, we were recording it in a room together, sharing a microphone. So as a result, the audio quality on this episode might not be as crisp as I normally like to make them. You might hear a few background noises like a leaf blower or some birds singing and the levels might not be quite so equal. So apologies if that at all diminishes the listening experience for you, but it's still a great one. All right, that's all. Enjoy the show, everyone. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Curiosity Killed the Rat. My name is Matt, I'm a science enthusiast and I am very very lucky to be speaking with my co-host Cade and we're both here Yo. together on... Yo. Lands traditionally owned by the Tungurung people. That's right, we're on Tungurung country. Yes, because we're in those regional Victoria, um, near... The mountains, near the Mount Buller. Those Snowy of mountains. you, yeah, people, people who know Australia, we're near Mount Buller because we're here to go to the fucking snow, and it's absolutely dope. I'm having yes. the best time, and we get to record an episode together in person. Like regular listeners to our show will be well aware that that doesn't happen very often because normally Matt's a good mm. four thousand odd kilometers on the other side of the country, mm-hmm. and we virtually chat. You've but, come over my way quite a few times, yeah, but it's rare for me to come over time, your way. <laughs> you lazy ass over the side of the yeah, country. Yeah, well, it was a cold July. The snow was calling. What do you want from me? It's been almost 10 years. I, I needed... What do you want from me? I, I want some... you to come over here. And you yes. did. And you did. You're here. And you're here for the snow. So very fittingly, I figured, you know, listeners mm. will already have seen the episode of the title. We're going to do a mm. snow-themed episode. We're going to do an episode about snowflakes. Woo! Because, like, I can't be here in person, in the snow, doing an episode live with Matt and not talk about snowflakes. And for those who haven't listened to the show before, who are you exactly, Kate? Oh, yeah. Like, who are you exactly, Matt? <laughs> Sorry. Who I just... am I? Was this a really... Look, I've spent a lot of time <laughs> introspecting lately about who I am. And, um, for, the, for the purpose of the show, I'm going to call myself a scientist. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a neuroscientist. I'm doing my PhD in uh, addiction neuroscience. Um, but I'm also a science communicator regular scientist on this show. I'm not going to be talking about neuroscience today. I don't know if you guys figured out. Snowflakes, spoiler alert, don't have brains. What? So, not my usual I mean, I knew area. they were complex, but I guessed they weren't ever that complex. Yeah. Well, not as far as... Not in... Not as far as we know, not in the same way that we have brains. I don't know. I'm not going to... They don't have brains. I'm not qualified, per se, to be talking about snowflakes. However, I do love science and have done several years of learning science, so... I think you're more qualified to research scientific topics that you don't know about than, say, I would be, because say what we will about academia, you know how to look shit up. (laughs) Yeah, true. But also, you know, a lot of what I'm going to talk about today in terms of snowflakes, like we're going to talk about some chemistry. Like I did undergraduate chemistry as part of, Mm. as part of my neuroscience degree, but it's still back in those like undergrad years. It's still just like the basic, you know, I understand electrons and stuff, you know, more than someone who didn't spend those thousands of dollars and (laughs) years of their life. So, you know, here we go. I'm going to give it to you guys for free. So hopefully you don't have to spend those thousands of dollars or years of your life. And you get to go outside and marvel at snowflakes and be like, Hey, I know, I know shit. I get to appreciate the beauty of this even more now because like 
God, what is... I'm just... Sorry, guys. I'm just, like, high on nature <laughs> right now. I'm just, like, where we are sitting to paint a little picture is in this fucking little bungalow thing just... What's that? Lake Eildon? Lake Illidon? Oh, I couldn't tell you what lake it is. Couldn't it's tell a you, lake. fam. Um, kind of down near Mansfield Way and sun shining in through the window. I'm looking straight ahead. There's blue sky, green grass, mm-hmm. gum trees behind. To my right is the lake. And it's just like, Matt's in front of me as well, which is like a delight seeing his Absolutely. face in three. Like, Matt's in front of me in three fucking dimensions, like not on a screen. Like, uh huh. Oh. I'm tangible. You can smell me. Man. And like, I can't see snow from where I am right now, but we spent the last two days up at the snow and we're heading back up there, the Savo, and like. My body Gosh, is telling me no, gorgeous. but my heart is telling me yes. Yeah. Well, I'm going to get you hyped about snowflakes because not only are they stunning, once you understand the like science and complexity, I don't know, maybe you'll find it more stunning. I do. Blows my mind Please. how all of this shit goes together. But I'm going to, you know, I'm going to start a way that I haven't done in a while, but like, you know, I feel I used to do a lot, which is throw it to you first, Matt. Like, okay. what do you know about snow or snowflakes or like, you know, where's yeah. our listener base? Okay. Kind of? Where are we starting at? So it's cold. Yes. We don't get it very often in Western Australia, no. as it is not that cold there. Mm-hmm. Um, although, interestingly, quick tangent, um, normally in WA, the only place you get snow is on top of Bluff Knoll, which is the tallest mountain in mm. Western Australia. And that's like, you know, once every couple of years on a particularly mountain. cold winter. Mm. Hey, it, it's a mountain. I've hiked it. It's a challenge. It's a challenge. Um, it's not, it's, it's taller than when I live. The, where I live is in the hills, which are not mountains. Those are hills. But these, <laughs> the Stirling Ranges, they are mountains. Uh, yeah. You know, they're not as grandiose as the ones over here, um, but they, they do be mountains. Mm. Anyway, yeah, no, this winter, we actually started to see some snow up in the northern suburbs of Perth, like legitimate days where snow fell, is which is just so wild. Unheard me. of. For Perth Absolutely. Um, I feel like it happened a couple times in Canberra. Do you remember growing up yeah. in Canberra? We got a couple snow but days. But I mean, at least Canberra would be a couple of hours drive away from a snowy yeah. mountain if you really oh. wanted to get there and it's slightly mm. elevated. We're talking like coastal, mm. you know? Yeah, yeah, true. Coastal, so, northern So Perth. wild. Um, um, yeah. But what do I know about snow? I, it's cold. It's... Different from hail. Yes. Um, both frozen things that fall from the sky. Yes. Um, both water-based. Which, both water-based. Um, I did look up um, a little bit ago what the difference was between snow and hail, because mm. I was sitting outside on a haily day and getting confused. Mm. Um, but basically, <laughs> hail freezes once it's already formed into a raindrop. So yeah. clouds go in yep. the sky. There's some kind of particle that the water has to form around. Mm. It needs some kind of like yep. speck of dust or yeah. dirt yep. at the center of every raindrop. Same then, with snowflakes. Yeah. Um, then it falls down. It's a thick, globby raindrop. And then mm-hmm. it gets through a part of the atmosphere that's cold enough to freeze it. Mm-hmm. And then it comes down as hail. Whereas mm. snow forms higher altitude than that where it's colder um, and it freezes while the water is still in vapor form. Mm-hmm. So before it gets the chance to all clump together and turn into a raindrop, mm-hmm. it the vapor itself freezes around that whatever mm-hmm. central particle is and makes cool, weird, funky crystal patterns, mm-hmm. and then that just kind of lily pads down. <laughs> um, yeah. And then you can get lots of it and you get snow and it's pretty and it's soft and it's nice and it's cool. <laughs> cool, literally. I, I know that snowflakes are all individuals. They're all unique. They're like that's, fingerprints. At that's, least that's what I've heard. Well, yeah. Okay. Um, that yep. every single snowflake that forms is different from every other snowflake. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm going to 
latch onto the bit where you're talking about like rain and the difference mm. sorry the difference between hail um and snow because that's yeah. that's a good place to start which is mm. yeah like what is a snowflake and my gut reaction is like well it's like snow is just falling frozen water but yeah then you've mm. got hail and you're like hang on but you look at a snowflake and we've all seen pictures of snowflakes and we're like oh yes stunning gorgeous whatever mm. but most importantly they're complex mm. i didn't my brain didn't initially go to hail when i was mm. thinking about this i just thought about like freezer ice cubes yeah like ice cubes in a freezer like frozen water mm. does not look like a snowflake like how the fuck yeah did old mate water manage to freeze like that like how did that naturally happen how what yeah. how did how in this science did, it's, did it's, we get a snowflake because it's rare for us to see such distinct geometry occur without human intervention you know yeah, you, you um, rarely see right angles in nature yeah, you know? so you were absolutely correct in saying that hail or mm. is is hail is frozen rain, right? So it's when the water molecules that are in our atmosphere, mm. which is probably a really better place to start, is just to say in our atmosphere at mm. all times, it's it's obviously not just oxygen, right? Yeah, there's all sorts of mostly shit in there. nitrogen, right? Yeah, and water vapor. There mm. are little H two O molecules in vapor form floating around in our atmosphere at all times. And our atmosphere has something that's called like a saturation point, which is like the maximum amount of water it can hold at any time before it's like, mm. nah fam. And so we've got water molecules just hanging out in our atmosphere. Now, sometimes they turn to liquid yeah. and fall as rain. Sometimes turn into these raindrops and then the temperature drops mm. and the raindrops freeze and fall as hail or we pour water into our freezer and it freezes as a ice cube like we're not putting water vapor into our freezer yeah into our ice cube trays we're pouring liquid water Mm. so cubey water or haley water or whatever is liquid to solid yeah snowflakes Mm. form when they 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 go straight from that vapor pretty much into frozen and that really that's really cool so what happens is we've got our atmosphere Mm. it's chilling and usually what happens is the temperature will drop yeah colder temperature like atmospheres can hold less water yeah right so the way we go from being saturated to what's called oversaturated aka Mm. we have too much water let's do something about it a lot of different things can happen you can add more water to the atmosphere and it can get oversaturated or you can drop the temperature and then you have um Oh. This situation. So then what you have is you've got your little dust fleck or your little, like, you know, whatever, um, that all of your water vapor starts Mm. to form around. Um, it goes straight from vapor to frozen and you get these tiny, tiny little like dust diamond crystal, like, and they are hexagon. They form a tiny, tiny little hexagon. Now this is important because this is going to explain how we go from that to those like you know because you you, describe a snowflake to me matt if i'm like the Mm. the biggest challenge of this episode is that i'm going to try and do a very visual thing with no visuals so have you um, ever had one of those kaleidoscope tubes as a kid it looks like a little telescope Mm. colors on the outside you put your eye up to Mm. it and you can rotate it around and it makes all of these kind of geometric symmetrical Mm. shapes Mm. they kind of look like that they look like they look like little geometric shapes, but they're, they're all totally, like, symmetrical on, mm. like, four different planes, all coming out from a central point. When yeah. I picture a snowflake, that's what I picture. Okay. Almost like spider web, but more angular. Because, um, um, so what I would say, 
Or what I would have said, actually, mm. prior to doing research this episode, because mm. that's changed, because I'll explain that. I think it's very interesting. But what I would have said, Snowflake, classic Snowflake, mm. um, which, by the way, Frozen, um, mm. and, and presumably lots of other snow-related films, uh, but I watched a video, I'll find the mm. link um, and, and chuck it in the description, but he was a, a physicist who was the, con- the Snowflake consultant on Frozen. Who was the snowflake consultant? This, this physicist who, <laughs> there's a video on YouTube, uh, this, right. they, they had an actual scientist who was a, an expert in snowflake geometry. Never they knew they did that um, level of attention to detail. Yeah, that's, and that's totally, cool. you that's can fun. have snowflakes fly out your fingers, they just have to be, you know, believable. Yeah. Which is like, cool, I love that. Anyway, so mm. what I would have described as a snowflake is what we've been, you know, conditioned to think of as a snowflake mm. is... I would definitely say symmetrical as well. Um, And yeah, based on this hexagonal structure, it Mm. has six arms and then it has all of these little branches coming off in lots Mm. of varying different like um, things. You mentioned the like the kaleidoscope things in geometry and I mentioned frozen, which makes Mm. me think of the line of like frozen fractals all around. Yeah. And this is, yeah. So I want to take a little side note and just Mm. say, look, fractals are cool. Fractals are very, Mm. very cool. Snowflakes are very, very cool. Snowflakes aren't actually fractals okay for, or for, they 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 are fractal like they yeah. definitely have like a fractal component to them especially the ones that like branch and then branch and then kind of like branch yeah. in these symmetrical for those who um ways. don't know what fractals are i'm a big fan of fractals because mm. i watch a lot of vsauce and <laughs> i'm a bit of a maths geek so well, okay no but... i want to hear your just because i wasn't okay. going to describe it yet because i was going to explain how it's not a fractal but no mm. give me your definition it's something that kind of just I don't know, subdivides to infinity in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, you imagine, I think maybe the coastline paradox, mm. that'd be a good way of describing fractals. Sure. Like the coastline paradox is if you try to measure what is the perimeter of Australia, for example, mm. you know, what unit of measurement can you use, d- depending what unit of measurement you use to measure the coastline of Australia, that will determine what, the perimeter is because mm. there's just never ending nooks and corners yeah. and crevices. You could zoom in, zoom in, zoom in, zoom in, That's a better way zoom of putting in it. and go, you, you know, are you measuring mm. every bay? Are you measuring every grain mm. of sand? Are you measuring every, you I know, think a, like a more down to earth example of fractals I can think of is like, look at a tree, you know, you've yeah, got the well, central trunk that comes out from that. You've got big branches. Then from the big branches, you've got little branches. But from I mean, the little branches, you've got twigs. A tree, leaves. a tree is a fractal in the same way that a snowflake is a fractal in mm. that it is not necessarily. So to define a fractal, like mathematically, mm. technically it's, yeah, there should be no limit mm. to how many times it repeats itself. Right. The more you zoom in and in and in, right? And and we do use it sort of colloquially, mm. colloquially that's a hard word. We use this kind of notion of mm. fractals to simply mean complexity or as like a measure of complexity in something. So yeah. like there are ways of like, if you look at a mountain, for example, and mm. you go, okay, that mountain is a cone, which mm. gives us a height, which gives us a width, that gives us a depth, we can calculate area, whatever. Yeah. And then some, there's this additional thing, which is like the fractal dimension, which mm. is how, you know, all the level of complexity within yeah. that mountain. Um, that's a little bit different to then your like pure strict mathematical fractals, which are like, 
um, this follow this rule of there mm. should be no limit to how much you zoom in and it repeats and it repeats and it repeats and yeah. it repeats. Um, Keep dividing the number by two forever. And down, oh, well, and down so down. there is actually a fractal curve mm. called the snowflake. Now, I haven't heard it said. <laughs> I've only seen it written down and it's spelled K-O-C-H. So I want to call it the cock snowflake, but I just wanted to spell it before I just said the cock snowflake. <laughs> um, and so it essentially, it follows this, this simple rule. So I want you to imagine... Um, now, a cock. Mate, I, I, I will look. No, no, okay. <laughs> I was going to say, I want you to imagine a straight line. So, um, well, well, our heads are it all can there be now. as fleshy or as unfleshy as desired. So, but you've got this straight line, horizontal, by the way, horizontal line okay. in front of you. Cops and I want on you, the table. And I want you to divide it into thirds. So you've got three separate portions yep. of this Neapolitan line. ice cream. Your middle portion. The vanilla. I want you to turn that into an equilateral triangle. So all three sides of the triangle are the same. So you're just drawing two extra triangle tips mm-hmm. to meet the edge. Does that make sense? So it's like a line with a little mountain on it? Yeah, a line with a little mountain on it. And okay. then you're going to like rub out or erase or get rid of like that bottom line. So what you gotcha. end up with is like a, a line, a triangle, and a line. Like if I'm like looking a, at a heartbeat monitor yeah, or something. Yeah, but it doesn't have your downbeat. It doesn't have your downbeat. Yeah, but yes, yeah, so you're going across, beep, across. Which yep. I don't know if our listeners are following. But like you've got that shape. Now, that is that is your rule. Whenever you see a mm. straight horizontal line, mm-hmm. you're going to divide it into thirds. You're going to make an equilateral triangle out of the middle. You're going to get rid of that bottom one. Okay. So now within that shape where you've got your line, dun, 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 you've got mm. one, two, three, four straight lines. Each one yes. of those, you can then zoom in, draw a triangle in the middle, erase the middle bit. Yeah. And then you zoom in, yep. draw a triangle in the middle, erase it, and you zoom in, and yep. you go on so forth, so on, so forth, and you get this, like, infinitely repeating pattern. Yes. Um, and we call that particular one, like, the, the cock snowflake. Real snowflakes, yeah, they're only slightly fractal. You've kind of got these first side branches um, that do sort of have this sort of dividing pattern, but they rarely have, like, this... Well, they don't have this infinitely repeating yeah. nature. Um, and it's, it comes back also to this, like, um, you said trees Mm. and, and just the idea of like, no two snowflakes are the same. Mm. Um, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Because as I'll explain, the shape a snowflake ultimately forms is dictated by its very specific conditions and no two snowflakes are ever going to experience the same exact two specific growth conditions in a lab you can kind of replicate that but then there are mm. still slight differences but no two trees are exactly the same yeah no two fucking anything in the like why what is with this idea of like snowflakes are all unique trees are all unique logs are all unique rocks are all unique Every, humans are all <laughs> like what two things are in, in nature are exactly the same two protons well okay maybe but also i don't know you could mm. say um even like two water molecules not necessarily because you go back to hydrogen you go have isotopes of different you know you get down zoom down to a certain point but then why do we keep using the snowflake analogy i think, I think they're a cooler pretty. i think that they are like better snowflakes i love snowflakes i i didn't mm. until about 2 days ago and i went down this like rabbit hole now i'm like oh but like to me the like the the cuter the nicer metaphor with snowflakes is that like every snowflake, the structure of the snowflake tells the story of like where they've been and what they've been through and who Mm. they've been like, and the journey they took to Mm. get there is just told in the growth pattern because it starts, like I said, right at the start with this tiny Mm. little hexagon. 
yeah. in the middle. The water vapor comes, it freezes onto this little speck of dust or sand or whatever, even like uh, like smoke ash, whatever, tiny mm. little particulate, and you'll you'll get this tiny little hexagon. Now, from that hexagon, I'll explain why it's a hexagon in a second. Yeah. From that hexagon, as it falls down through the sky, all the other little bits of water vapor start to stick to it and it starts to grow. So initially, you're just building out on that hexagon. And then at a certain point, if you think about a hexagon, mm. every little corner, every apex, yeah, it's like literally it's now sticking out more, right? Mm. So just by probability by chance by like the virtue of the mm. fact that you're waving an arm out the water vapor in the air as the the particle has gotten big enough um that it's no longer equal probability on all sides the corners are now sticking out it's more likely that water vapor molecules are going to stick to each of those corners i.e non-symmetrical pardon i.e that means it won't be symmetrical no yeah because it's yeah. symmetrical because you've got a hexagon yeah. and then eat all six of those corners oh the corners themselves each of them sticking out yep, yeah okay so I you've got you. a hexagon i thought you meant one corner more than another corner no no no, no, no. The, I, corners the corners more, more than, than the edges, edges. yeah okay so you've I'm got your you. base your your nucleus that is your hexagon yeah and then from your corners you get your branches mm. and so each one starts to spurt a branch and as it starts to grow longer then it's sticking out more and so mm. it's just by chance and then, you know, different factors such as, like, humidity and so, like, how much, you know, water, water molecule vapor. is in there. Like, yeah, water vapor is in there. So how what chance does it have of bumping into one? How warm it is? So how fast they're all moving? Yeah. You know, all those different factors and where it's falling and the falling pattern and the wind and mm. the, like how many are close really by competing like for water vapor manifestation of chaos theory it literally literally the chaos and the order mm. and so it comes down and it just they end up looking symmetrical because even though no two snowflakes are going to be the same because they're always far enough apart that they experience yeah. slightly different conditions these snowflakes are so small mm. that each six points of this hexagon is going to experience more or less um the, the same, same conditions yeah. so they go in this more or less symmetrical way. They're not always entirely symmetrical. They're just mm. symmetrical enough because they've experienced essentially the same conditions that change at the same time. So the temperature gets slightly warmer at the same point in the yeah. growth of all six branches, right? And so as these conditions change, that's the story. It grows from the middle mm. and it branches out. And then we end up with these things. Um, and I want to just bring us back to how, like, I'm describing these, like, you know, they've got these six branches and yeah. these beautiful, gorgeous, symmetric patterns. And it's, like, that is also just so... That's hashtag not all snowflakes. That's just <laughs> the best ones, right? Yeah, Some okay. end up looking stunning. Actually, well, they're all stunning in their own mm. way, right? But they don't all look exactly like that thing. And the yeah. idea... So it all comes back. And this idea of, like, no two snowflakes are alike, but they all look like this, you know. No, they don't all look like this dendrite things some are columns more kind of like columns mm. with caps and some are like real ugly um but it comes back to in 1885 there was a 20 year old american meteorologist named wilson bentley mm -hmm. and now he was the first person to take a close-up picture of a snowflake mm -hmm. um and he so he's like sitting outside imagine and he's got like a piece of black fabric catching yeah. like snowflakes on the fabric and you know he takes it and puts 
his favorite snowflake under a microscope. You can imagine mm. back in 1885, the cameras yeah. attaches his microscope to this big ass camera yeah. uh, to take this photo. Absolutely incredible. And it, it was a classic shape sort of snowflake. Now this guy, old mate, fucking loved snowflakes. They were kind of his life. He never married. He never moved out of his <laughs> mom's place. He basically just took pictures of snowflakes for like 50 years. Maybe he was the real um, snowflake after all. Yeah. Mm. But he took more than 5,000 pictures um, of snowflakes over his life. Um, a selection appear in his book called Snow Crystals, which is still in print today. You can still buy Snow Crystals by Wilson Bentley. Huh. Uh, and the thing is, all of his... He, he loved it in all the details and every plate and branch and needles, and it was great. The thing is, he only... I have a, this is a quote. Only selected... Uh, snowflakes in pristine condition with uncommon beauty and symmetry. So he has right. cultivated our conscious like perception of snowflakes and what we want them to look Don't like. Don't trust and why big snowflake. Needs a yeah. We've been, been uh, we've been fed <laughs> snowflake propaganda our whole life about what snowflakes are supposed to look like, but they're not showing us the real snowflakes, the beautiful snowflakes. All yeah. snowflakes are beautiful. All snowflakes are beautiful. I think all snow snowflakes are beautiful and all snowflakes tell their own story <laughs> of their own creation via the journey that they've been on. I don't know. I'm feeling apparently <laughs> emotional and metaphorical today, but we're talking snowflakes, so we're going to do it and we're reclaiming yeah. the narrative of snowflakes the way I want to. I like it. Um, now, I've got some questions. Yes. First question. Every snowflake is unique because they're all slightly apart from one another, but more or less snowflakes in the same area are prone to the same conditions, so I would assume all look similar to one another. Mm. Could you then potentially figure out geographically where each snowflake is from by looking at it? Like maybe, say, snow that falls on Mount Buller in Melbourne mm. would look different from snowflakes that fall on Mount Everest because all of the conditions are different, <sighs> so the snowflakes would form in different ways. Ways, honestly, they would be similar to one another. Honestly, very, very, very potentially. Mm. I didn't look into this specifically, but I did see and briefly watch a thing about people studying snowflakes in the shape of snowflakes to help study mm. avalanches, um, which is not the same thing as what you're talking about, but mm. it does suggest that, like, yeah, you can, there is a broader mm. utilization of this beyond just like, oh, it's pretty, isn't that cool? Yeah. Which is kind of the angle that I took with my research at the limited time that I, <laughs> I had to do it. Um, but yeah, I reckon like, absolutely. You could use stuff mm. like that to, um, or even to just like, I don't know. I don't know if you could catch a snow, like catch snowflakes. Um, and then before they melt, obviously, and then look at the shapes and be like, oh, uh, and, and get information about the weather and the change, like the mm. sort of these micro details about the changing humidity or changing temperatures like up up higher where these things are snowflake forming. forensics like, yeah i don't know i there's probably so much dope research happening because of this mm. like because we know what we know about how um they form i don't know how much yeah we can backtrack and be like oh this happened because of this mm -hmm. but i know that you know this this guy this that was the snowflake consultant um, he was doing them in the lab and he was able to, like, he was growing them in these conditions and he was like, mm. oh, and now I want it to start branching. And so he changed the conditions to favor branching and it would start doing it. And he was like, oh, now I want it mm. to like 
flatten out and plate out a bit so he'd change so the he could make his own design so he of kind of, yeah and he was like well like when you get to the point of like you feel like you can predict the future you know you understand it when you say oh if i do this this will happen and then it does yeah um so i feel like if we have the ability to go in that direction which we, can we do re- reverse engineer then it. we probably have the ability to go in the other direction as well or at least make inferences and people probably are like mm. totally i yeah i just didn't I didn't look into it because I looked into where I kind of want to, I'll, I'll mm. ask you, let you ask more questions if you want. Mm. But the other thing that I kind of wanted to talk about, um, because it's where I went, as I alluded mm. at the start with my chemistry background, is that that hexagon yeah. shape, why does, why, why do we start as a hexagon? That, and that like, is what's sort going of one on of my questions. Molecularly yeah. there. Cause because I've got, yeah, but what you go. So, um, my mind, so why does it form as a hexagon and why does it crystalline out? on what seems like a two-dimensional plane. Mm. You look at a raindrop and it's a full, like, mm. sphere. Or, mm. I mean, oblong shape, you know, a sphere around a speck, three dimensions. But when snowflakes form, mm. it only branches out in two dimensions and makes sort of like a flat disc. Why mm. Why do we not see mm-hmm. balls of snow? Why do we see flakes of snow? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, cool. It's, mm. I have the answers for you. Here's cool. an answer I prepared earlier. Um <laughs> So it comes back down to, we're going to zoom right into like water, the chemistry of like the water molecules. So Mm. like, what is water? H2O, right? Two hydrogen atoms and a single oxygen atom. Yeah. Right. And we, we all kind of know what they look, or I don't know. I say we all, but also I've, like I said, spent so many years doing science, but like, what does it look like to you? What do you picture a water molecule look like when I say picture a water molecule? Um, well, I kind of just go back to high school chem, mm. um, and I picture, like, two little white spheres and one red sphere mm-hmm. connected by cartoonishly cylindrical arms, mm-hmm. you know? Is there any, like, particular angle? Are they in a straight That's line? That's sort of like a Mickey they... Mouse configuration. Yeah. They're the in a Mickey, Mickey Mouse configuration. Mickey Mouse configuration where is your what two, my brain does your as well. ears are your hydrogen I... and your head is your oxygen. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to keep going to keep calling it the Mickey Mouse because that's yeah. literally what I see as well. And so I reckon, I don't know, whoever was in charge at Disney mm. measured, I don't know, maybe I should measure the angles. Someone's surely done this, the angles between the ears and whether it's the 104.5 degrees. Um, but it, that shape mm. is important and I'll okay. explain why in a second. But yeah, so you've got your, your, your head, which is your oxygen and your yeah. little hydrogen ears. Now a single water molecule therefore has 10 protons and 10 electrons. Cause I don't know what you remember about. Oh, I don't remember the periodic table. Honestly, we don't care about the protons. What we care about is electrons. Do you know how many electrons hydrogen has? It uh, depends. Okay. We're going <laughs> to... <laughs> One? Yes. <laughs> for the sake of this fucking exercise. So for the sake of the exercise where um, you've got... It's not an ion, it's an atom. So yes. the charge balances out. So you've got the same number of protons in the element as you do electrons yes. to allow it to be yeah. neutrally yeah. charged. Yeah. Okay. And if all of that, you're just sitting here listening, being like, oh my God, this is way too much fucking chemistry. <laughs> Why are we talking about electrons, protons and shit? Do not worry. All mm. I need you to know is the oxygen, it comes with eight electrons. Each yeah. hydrogen comes with one electron each. Yeah. Right? That's important to know. Now, the way they bond together has mm. to do with those electrons. So okay. you can ignore two of oxygen's electrons. They're kind of on their little inner shell. They keep them close to home, whatever. Yeah. Then you've got your outer shell. You want to end up with eight electrons in yeah. this outer shell. Oxygen's bring in six. Hydrogen's like, hey, I got two for you. Completes the 
Right. Yeah. And that's kind of how they fit together like pieces of the puzzle. The oxygen's like, damn, mm. I'm Gernson for some electrons. Hydrogen's mm. like, well, I got this one here. So it mm. links by sticking its electron yeah. in the oxygen's electron field. Mm. And, and they fucking share. They fucking... It, it reminds me of, so there's, that's what's called covalent bonding. They bond yeah. covalently because they're sharing electrons. So now the hydrogens are happy because they want two electrons each and they mm. get two electrons each. It's like the hydrogens um, electrons are the bumps on top of a Lego brick and the oxygen's electron field is the indents on yeah. the bottom of a Lego um, brick. And when you stick them together, that's how they hold in place. It's just, you know, the, uh, cause the other type of bonding is ionic bonding, which is where you take mm. an electron from the other person and then you're both happy but you're not actually sharing. And the thing that always mm. plays in my mind, I remember learning like in chemistry, it's like bond, ionic bond, taken, not shared. Um, <laughs> which so is just nerdy. so good. <laughs> um, but the point is these guys are sharing, it's covalent, yeah. they're friends and everyone is happy. Now, because of the arrangement. I think I can guess where this is going. Okay, go. Tell me what's next. So I think that water has like, a charge to it or, or a polar nature to it. I think we may have talked about it previously mm-hmm. on the show when we talk about a stream of yep. water and stuff pushing it out of the way. Yes. Yeah, so does episode. that occur because the hydrogens in the water molecule, given they've given their electron to the oxygen, they're now just protons chilling, no. meaning they're no, positively no, no. I charged. Literally, I literally said that's not what's happened. This is that right. would be if it was ionic bonding and if it was taken, not shared. Yeah, right. hydrogen would have given it, and they would just be a proton. But here, hydrogen wants two electrons, and they've gotten two electrons because right. they are sharing one. So right. each little hydrogen with his little one electron being like, "Hey, I want one more," um, because like I have this outer shell and it's just got a hole in it. It's just got a hole and it's raining, and mm. I really need something to plug this hole. So I don't want to give mine up. I just need something to plug the hole. But my little one, it has a little dent so we can mm. share. If, right. if I plug okay. your hole, Mr. Oxygen, and you plug my hole, Mr. Oxygen, <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge, then yeah. we can we can share. And then Mr. Hydrogen gets two electrons and Mr. Oxygen gets um, right. all of them. So the hydrogen still has mm. its electron. Yeah, so each hydrogen has two electrons and the oxygen has ten electrons, but the mm. water molecule as a whole has ten electrons. Because we're sharing. Damn. Okay. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. But you were absolutely onto something with mm. the polar and with the charge. Because if you still mm. think about it, the hydrogens have two electrons. The oxygen yeah. has, what did I say? Ten. Ten electrons. Yeah. What's going to be more negative? Two electrons or ten electrons? Ten electrons. Mm. Because electrons are negatively charged. So yeah. more of them means more negative charge. So overall, the water molecule is not charged. Um, it's mm. like balanced but there is a slight kind of spread of the charge as in the oxygen within it has a slight negative charge because it's got heaps of electrons okay. and then the oxi- the hydrogens that are down the other end. And so they're just there um, because of where they bond. And then because each of them is slightly positively charged, they're going to slightly repel each other. So they're mm. going to, that's why they Mickey mouse ear rather than stick right close together. Okay. Because they're both slightly positively charged, so they're going to, like, repel each other kind of around the top of the head rather than being two Mm. ears in the centre. They repel slightly out to an angle of 104.5 degrees. Um, And so what we end up with is a negatively charged Mickey Mouse jaw and two little positively charged Mickey Mouse ears, which means he's going to be positive at the top of his head and negative at the bottom of his head. Could an analogy for this be, say, I had a bowl of, um, fuck, curry, 
right? Mm-hmm. I've got a bowl of curry. Bowl of and fuck curry. I chop up, it's a mild curry, it's a mild butter chicken. Mm-hmm. I, I chop up some fresh chili mm-hmm. and I stir the fresh chili into the butter chicken. Mm-hmm. You could now say, oh, this butter chicken is a medium dish overall because you've got the spiciness from the chili mm-hmm. in there, but then the butter from the butter chicken kind of mm-hmm. mellows things out. So overall, it's a medium, but mm-hmm. the chili part of the butter chicken mm. wanes slightly mm-hmm. more to the spicy yeah. and the butter part of yeah. the butter chicken weighs slightly more yeah. this way. So overall, yeah. it's a medium, it's kind of neutral, but yeah. some parts of it tend yeah. more one way than another. Yeah, totally. Okay. Perfect. Cool. Um, but then the additional thing would be that somehow all the chili would be at one end and all the butter would right. be at I the haven't, other end. I haven't stirred it together. I have to sprinkle yeah. the chili on yeah. top. Yeah, on top. Yeah. yeah, you just sprinkle the chili on top, chili flakes okay. on top, and now you've got your, your directionality. Yeah. Um, which now if we move back to charges instead mm. of spice, that's a good, that's a really good analogy, except I can't then think about how like, is spicy attracted to mild? Yeah. It's not. No, that's um, all right. That was more just for me to conceptualize how you can have something that is neutrally charged, but also, but, tends but also to has be... a spread of charge. Yeah. 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 No, nice. And now, so now we're going to think about how they interact with each other, these separate molecules and yeah. how the charge affects that. Yeah. So if you think about your Mickey Mouse jaw and your Mickey Mouse being negative, and then your Mickey yeah. Mouse ears of... Your Minnie Mouse ears. We've got a different molecule. Nice. Minnie Mouse's ears are positive, mm-hmm. and Mickey Mouse's jaw is negative. Yeah. As water freezes, mm-hmm. the energy um, lowers, and these molecules slow down. They're not as, like... They're kind of running around, whatever, not really yeah. binding into each other, but then as it gets colder they slow down and they start to move closer together. As they move closer together, they start to align based on their charges because negative and positive are are attracted. So all of the Mickey Mouse jaws Mm. are going to be attracted to the Minnie Mouse ears. This has turned into like a weird sex (laughs) thing that I did not intend, but that's okay. It's what we're doing. Um, And because of that, essentially it forms a hexagon. You get six, because of the angles and how Mm. it works, you end up with six different individual H2O molecules with the oxygen aligning to a hydrogen aligning to an oxygen aligning to a hydrogen. It's not a flat hexagon because if it was a flat hexagon, the angle at every corner would be 120 degrees. Mm. It's actually only 104.5 degrees. So what you get is not completely flat. It's kind of like a chair. It's kind of like divoted. It's kind of like if you... Like a crinkle cut chip. Yeah, except it's a ring. Yeah, Um, like Or it's, it's a ring where each corner is a different, um, I'm trying to think like, you know, like a ring that you can twist and bend around like of. a, like if I warped a glow stick. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, it's like, if you imagine a ring of six sort of water molecules as your six points, um, making this hexagon. Mm. Um, and if it was, if the angle between the, the ears was 120 degrees, you could make yeah. a really nice, uh, hexagon that was flat, yeah. completely flat. But because we've smushed it in, because it's actually only 104.5. Yeah. So you imagine you've got your hexagon. Forget about water yeah. for a moment. Just any hexagon. And I want you to make all of those angles yeah. slightly smaller, but still keep it all joined. Yeah. Every angle is going to buckle a little bit. You'll still yeah. be able to do it. It just won't be flat yeah. anymore. It'll just be a little bit buckled, a little bit folded. A when little I was bit. trying to think of a good analogy, my mind went to like building fences at work. Mm-hmm. So if I get like... Let's say I get six planks of wood or yeah. six sticks. Yeah. And for whatever obscure reason, I'm tasked with building a fence 
that goes in a ring and I have to use these angles. I can work mm-hmm. in three-dimensional space as yeah. much as I want to, but yeah. I have to use these yes. angles and I have to use yeah. these lengths yeah. and I have to make them all fit. Yeah. Obviously, they're not all going to fit together at these yeah. angles. Like a normal hexagon, yeah. you said, what was about 120, 120. degrees between each angle, and yeah. this is, what, 114? 104.5. 104.5, so the angles are smaller. Yes, those planks aren't going to sit together nicely, so I tilt one up off the ground, and then that means they can actually smush together. So what I've got sitting on the ground now is a hexagon where points and joints buckle up into Mm. 3D space, but it does all still connect together, and it looks a little wonky, Mm. but it is still a hexagon. But it is still mostly flat, right? Yeah, it's just like, like, you know, I could give it a little bump and it would rock on the ground a bit. So that is your snowflake. So when you're like, why are they flat? Mm. They're not completely flat. They're about that much off flat. Right. And they the reason they are that much off flat instead of like mm. a ball or whatever is because that's just how these hydrogen bonds is what they're called right. like form together. That's just how these molecules so each fit together. Water in molecule space. that has All of- two hydrogens, each hydrogen on that water molecule is connected to a different water molecule. So you've got one molecule connect to two others via its hydrogen. The next one is connected to via its Um, hydrogen, making a ring. Yeah. And not all of them are going to have like two branching off. Otherwise then Mm. you end up with these sheets, which you can actually get as well. And that's when you get your Mm. ice cubes, actually, that's how Mm. the cube, you know, you, it's kind of like, was it graphite? Graphene is the sheet. Graphite is the lots of sheets. Yeah. So that's, that's ice Mm. is the lots of sheets, Mm. I guess, of these like all still hexagons. So like a snowflake is graphene or like. No, no, no. Cause a snowflake mm. is, is different. This is, we're yeah. just talking about this tiny, tiny little base core seed yeah. of the snowflake yeah. hexagon, which then just forms a sheet of hexagons. So holy shit. The, frozen, the, freezing like ice. the base of every snowflake is a hexagon of six water molecules. Um, essentially that's how it starts. And then that's tiny. And then it builds from there. It stays in that little hexagonal Mm. shape, um, until it gets big enough that the probability Mm. shifts. So while it's tiny, while it's pretty much, yeah, six water molecules, it still remains totally equally possible that another water molecule is going to bind to any point, right? Nothing's really sticking out at that point. Yeah. And so it's going to keep growing as just kind of a flat hexagonal sheet Mm. until it hits the point as it's falling through the sky that every little apex of this hexagon is now like sticking out enough that the probability is higher that a free floating Mm. water molecule is going to hit that corner. And then once it starts to build a little branch, then it gets even more and more probable that it's just going to build onto that branch. Mm. And then the conditions might change again and the branches might flatten out and then up and yeah. Yeah. Um, But it just builds in this complex way. Whereas when it's water first, when it has the chance to go gas, then water, water Mm. is a little bit more ordered and you do get some of this hydrogen bonding Mm. and arranging in hexagons and stuff in the water. So it just freezes into sort of sheets of this. Mm. Whereas when you're going, yeah, from vapor where it's all just crazy, then you just start Mm. at this base and then you just kind of build your little hexagon base, but then you just build branches and arms and shapes and stuff from there. Um, do you mind if we take it back one moment mm. and talk about what is the difference between water vapor and steam? Um, because I'm pretty sure they're different things, right? Like if you get a cup of tea and then you pour boiling water into it, um, or, or you're boiling a pot of water on the stove and you can see stuff coming off it. Um, I saw on a Vsauce video, God, I think that's the third time I've referenced him this episode. Anyway, um, the steam itself 
you can't see because steam is meant to be invisible and it's over 100 degrees. The stuff that you can see is not steam. It is water vapor because it has condensed slightly. Clouds are pillows of water vapor. They're not pillows of steam. We fly through a cloud and we don't all get boiled alive, you know? Or is the only difference of definition the temperature? That's, that's what I, I do not know. Yeah, so from what I understand, they can be the same thing in some contexts. Okay. Like, they're, they're not entirely different uh, things. So in general, like, water vapour refers to when there is, like, water in the atmosphere or in the air, water molecules. Vaporised water. Vaporised water molecules, gaseous form in, you okay. know, floating around in the gas. Steam... Um, is when you boil it, it's obtained, steam specifically is obtained after heating water from okay. boiling it, getting it to a boiling point and getting this heat. And then when you can see steam, you can actually, it's just the water droplets that you can still see, right? Okay. The hot water droplets sort of rising off. It's not actually, so that's actually like condensed liquid water that you, okay. you can see, right? The water vapor itself is not visible to the naked eye. Like, you cannot okay. see the vaporised water even in steam form. So, when we talk about water vapour in the context of steam coming off a pot of boiling water, the stuff that we can see is actually liquid water. Mm. And maybe calling that water vapour is a misnomer. Because mm. when we talk mm. about water vapour in the context of clouds... Yeah. Um, I suppose clouds do have... But clouds know, yeah. aren't just water vapor, right? Like the things yeah. that you can see are the other things that are making it up, yeah. right? It's not. That's um, what gives it its opacity. Whereas yeah. water in its gaseous form, whether we call it steam or whether we call it water vapor, is invisible to the naked eye. Mm. But essentially, like when we say water vapor, we are referring mm. to the presence of water molecules, yeah. right? Clouds, water vapor. In this so context, the presence of water yeah. molecules. When we're, so when we're saying steam, we're talking about water in gaseous form form having been boiled. So it's more about um, a context as to what, what like you're talking about it. Yeah, it's one of those things that doesn't mm. seem to have a strict scientific distinction. Yeah. Um, and it's just one of those things that they mean overlapping things but different and there are, there are disagreements. Like what is a vegetable? You know, yeah, people yeah. kind of, you know... And, like, what is a fruit, right? Do yeah. we just talk about fruit as in botanically The culinary or... sense, yeah. genus, yeah. yeah, okay. So, um... All right, cool. So, in this context, when we're talking about water vapour, we are talking about the presence of water molecules... Yeah. We're talking about non-liquid water... Yeah. ...in... just hanging out in the atmosphere... Yeah. ...that skips the... well, then when it turns into a snowflake, skips the, the liquid phase and freezes yeah. and then starts the snowflake starts to build from there first mm. into this little slightly flat but not quite flat base hexagon because yeah. of how the, the charges on the individual atoms in the water align and how they're attracted to each other and how they mm. like bond and sit um, that forms this like hexagon base for it to fall to for it to grow off and then it's just a shifting of probability as the thing grows and gets bigger mm. and then there's just a greater chance that water molecules it bumps into are going to stick to the bits that are already sticking mm. out and so they get longer and then you might change in wind yeah. and something will start another little nubbin somewhere else nubbin. and build off that and just chance and you end up with these like 
insanely gorgeous snowflakes. Yeah, man, that's like that's pretty much all I have to say on snowflakes and the science of snowflakes. Um, oh, that's perfect because I was just looking at the time and thinking if there was anything else you wanted to add, add now or forever hold your peace on the world of snowflakes. No, no. So you've answered the main um, questions that I'd come up with while we were talking. Mad, um, I let me just like double check that I didn't have anything like super dope written down that I'm like, oh, I'm gonna kick myself <laughs> I didn't say that later because like. But truly, truly, nah. I I think I think I covered it. I think yeah. In a in a roundabout way. Oh, only just that. In 1998, researcher Nancy Knight claimed to find two identical snowflakes. Um, and like when you look at them, like they 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 do look real alike. And like just this was just around the point of you know it's yeah it is totally totally possible in the history mm. of the fucking universe and all the planets that have snow and blah 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 yeah. that we're going to end up with two snowflakes that are identical like have the same measurement of size and mass in like every every way it's just a very very low but, probability of that happening. and also even if that were the case they probably still wouldn't be identical because yeah. the number of the sheer number of water molecules that make up a snowflake a final kind of mm. product snowflake the chances of like one of those as identical being as an isotope our, or something is yeah. is you know as identical as our measuring tools would exactly. allow us to see. And so it's like, what's the point in trying to find? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but other than that, no, that's that's me on snowflakes, Dam. Um, absolutely, I said that's me on snowflakes, and that is me on snowflakes. But because we're going to go up to the mountain and go skiing again uh, this afternoon, yeah. I did have a fun thing on skiing, which is that like when you're skiing or like snowboarding, for example, yeah, like. Snowflakes, when they're, like, dry, completely dry snow, is not actually very good to ski on. It's super difficult to ski on. It's just, like, there's too much friction mm. and jagged snowflake. Like, it wouldn't yeah. it wouldn't work if it was just a solid and just dry. Yeah, you need um, some liquid to give you well, some Well, it's slip. the friction on the of your skis, right, mm. that, that heats it up and melts it. And oh. so you're actually skiing on a very thin layer of water on top of it. So it's actually water skiing. It's aquaplaning. Um, yeah. Um, not, not snow skiing. So that's my, oh. and yeah, but with that, that's, that's me done on, uh, snowflakes. Um, so regular listeners to the show will know that we very often have a listener question at the end where you, if you listeners just have found yourself with a question about literally anything in your life day to day, uh, <laughs> to do with science, science related, uh, science related or sparked by our episode, you can email us, uh, curiosityrat at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Shoot us through some listener questions. Um, we're running low on good, fresh, exciting ones. So today, Matt. Hi. I'm going to ask you a question. Go on. Because regular listeners to the show may, may be aware or may not be aware, mm. um, Matt, you're not just a science enthusiast. No, are you? I do work. I have a job. You do? Whoa! I have a job. I am employed. I. I what do, do you do? I, pref- I, I. I am an outdoor adventure instructor as my day job. I work at a bush camp, mm. and we do a whole range of activities for kids, ranging from abseiling to kayaking to mountain biking. We've got a flying fox. <laughs> But we also do bushwalking, where I take a group of kids through the bush and tell them about the native trees and stuff mm. that we have in the local forests where I am, where I live and work. And um, honestly, I have been, over the last couple of days, hanging out with Matt, hearing about just, like, his life in the bush. Because, like, we're out in the bush now, and I'm mm-hmm. just like, oh my god, how good is nature? And he's like, yeah, I, I, I live in the bush. It's, it's nice. You should, you you should, should, do you should it. try it. 
And I'm like, <laughs> so I want to, listener, dear listener of you and your stories, Matthew, I want to ask you, mm-hmm. like, well, take me on a bushwalk through Dwelly. Like, what is your yeah. favorite tree fact or tree okay. facts or, like, just what do you want me or our <laughs> listeners and our listeners to know about trees near you? So... In Dwelling Up, um, the main trees that you find around are something called Jarrah mm-hmm. trees. Um, Jarrah is a pretty... Heard you froth the Jarrah It's a, a pretty times. special wood. It's mm. it's very sought after. Um, now, I will just preface this before I start talking that my um, knowledge about a lot of this stuff, I, I feel like I've got a relatively broad knowledge about a lot of this bush stuff, but not necessarily in-depth knowledge, so I might not go as into these answers um, and, you know, take everything with a grain of salt. I don't necessarily put in the same academic rigour that um, my co-host does, so I just want to preface anything I say with that um, for the sake of um, um, being forthcoming, I guess. Anyway, um, Jared Trees... I trust your bush knowledge. Basically, the town of Dwelling Up... um, where I live and where I work was founded because of the Jarrah tree. Right. Because of how good Jarrah wood is. It grows incredibly tall, it grows incredibly straight, and it's a very, mm. very hard wood. This makes it really, really useful for things like buildings. Oh. I mean, probably. <laughs> like, I'd sand it a bit first, maybe put a varnish yep. on there. Um, oh, yeah. Otherwise, you'd get a bit splintered. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, you know, a lot of landmarks around the world. So, um, the Bustleton Jetty is ent- oh, made entirely of jarrah wood that is sourced that. from Dwelling Up as well. There you go. Um, I feel like I should have known that. Parts of the Sydney Harbour Bridge, for my East Coast no, listeners, actually, are made from jarrah wood that comes from... my East from, Coast listeners. Yeah, yeah, you know, gotta, gotta cover both sides of the country, International you know? listeners, everyone's heard of the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Sydney Harbour Bridge, um, yeah, what? foundations yeah. from jarrah wood that comes from Dwelling Up. And for our international listeners, um, those of you in England... Mm. Um, a lot of the um, pews in the churches over there and cathedrals no. are made from jarrowwood that comes from dwelling up. So when Australia was colonised way back in the day, you know, it was, I don't know if it was necessarily a convict thing or if it was more of a free settlement, because I think mm. Western Australia was one of the later places yeah, moved into. Um, but there were convicts in WA. I think it was only Adelaide that wasn't a convict town. Anyway, um, yeah, they would chop down the trees send them off to the coastline, like Fremantle, Port, Esperance, mm. or Mandra, and then they would get sent off all around the world back to England because mm. it was such a sought-after wood. And most of the trees Dope. that you see in the forests around there now are really, really young trees comparative to what they could be. Normally when I take them on a bushwalk, mm. there's this one really big tree that is there that I can point to and say this is like a actually only a small to medium tree. Normally they grow much, much bigger yeah. than this. But... Um, but let's say, you know, uh, let me just think size-wise, you know. Am I hugging a water tank? You, like, normally this big tree that I use as an example, we can get, you know, maybe 15 kids around the circumference of it hugging it. And whereas, you know, one of the young trees that we normally see, maybe Mm. you get two or three adults around that hugging it. I love, I absolutely Mm. fucking love (laughs) the metric for for how big is a tree, how many people are required to hug it. Well, that's honestly the only (laughs) measuring tool I use. I'm not bringing a tape measure out with me into the bush, but I'm bringing a group of 20 kids. And you're making them hug the trees. Well, yeah, of course I'm making them hug the trees. I love this. (laughs) I have a great job. You Um, do. But, um... 
Yeah, so that size where you can get, you know, 15 kids hugging it, that is a small to medium size Jarrah tree. And that is a Jarrah tree that's like 350 to 450 years old. So we've given enough time because they're pretty slow growing. They can end up, you know, you know, comparable, but probably not overtaking, you know, some of those redwoods Mm. that you hear about in Mm -hmm. New Zealand and in America and Canada. Mm. Like they can grow to be big, but there aren't as many of them around anymore because we chopped them down. But, but... What I will say for the logging town is they did plant them back and we do still have forests. But um, mm. anyway, that's that's not what I'm here to talk about. I'm not mm. here to talk about the politics of logging. But no, that, that's tree science. More, yeah, and it's also really good firewood, Jarrah wood. Yeah. We're still just talking about the one tree here. Gosh, we're still on Jarrah so much, but I mean, yeah. broad uh, knowledge. Um, yeah. Well, it's the main tree, you yeah. know. Yeah, um, everyone has a favourite tree. It's not my favourite tree. Oh, I wonder, what's your favourite tree? My favourite tree in the bush is the she-oak. Yeah, okay, I, tell us about the she-oak. I really like the she-oak. Um, in terms of its wood quality, apparently it's not necessarily the best for, you know, building sturdy structures or for burning, but it is a really prized and sought after wood. Mm. Um, it gets used to make a lot of expensive furniture and stuff because mm. the way the grain is, I couldn't describe it exactly, but depending which way you cut it, you can get really interesting looking patterns in the grain, so it's really, really well sought after, but that's not why I like it. Okay, why do you like it? So the way a she-oak looks is, when you look at it, you probably first think, that's a pine tree. Mm-hmm. It looks like it's got little needles coming off it, but yep. it doesn't grow like a pine tree. It doesn't have, like, one tall branch with sort of a triangle coming down from the top. It grows more like a normal tree, where mm-hmm. you've got lots of branches and leaves mm-hmm. coming off it, but it's got these needly leaves. Mm-hmm. Now, these needly leaves are actually more closely related to a standard old eucalyptus leaf than they are to a pine needle. Interesting. Because pine trees aren't native to Australia. Yeah. Is the she-oak native? Yes. The she-oak is a native tree. Um, If you look along the the actual needle, I shouldn't use the word needle, it's kind of a misnomer. Mm. Um, The scientific name is clatophyll, I believe. Um, Again, take with a grain of salt. Mm. Um... But yeah, these clatophyll have all sorts of bumps and ridges along it. And that's yeah. one way that you can spot a she-oak needle yeah. from a pine needle. Pine needle's smooth. Uh, yeah. a, a, a clatophyll has little ridges. What are the ridges it. for? Well, know? yeah, they, they are, if you held up a she-oak leaf mm. and a eucalyptus leaf mm. next to each other, each little bump and ridge that goes along the mm. clatophyll is the same as the webbing on a normal leaf. So it's just a way that it's evolved its webbing to be super, super small to reduce its surface area. Now, why would a leaf want to reduce its surface area? What do you reckon? Well, you would want more surface area to get more sunshine, right? To Mm -hmm. make more, you know, of the good stuff, the oxygen. All right. So the tree Um, makes lots and lots of needles. So now it's got that covered. Would it be a water thing? Not a water thing. Well, partially a water thing. The less surface area, the less heat can affect it and thus the less water uh, it can lose yeah and it's able to yeah. keep more water in and because mm. the heat is affecting it less it means it can survive harsh australian yeah, summers really well right of course most yeah. australian trees have evolved this way like mm. eucalyptus trees they yes they've got normal leaves quote unquote mm. but they've got a really hard waxy surface yeah. to keep the heat out and keep mm. the water in mm. she oaks just took a different evolutionary route yeah, they're they still just, hearty and rugged and waxy but they, they also, also ditched, got small ditched the the um yeah surface area it's just a really interesting path mm. and it's an example of um convergent mm. evolution because yeah, yeah. again 
it's not really that related to a pine needle. It's more related to a regular old leaf. Do pine needles are a pine... What am I trying to ask? Mm. Do pines have needles for a similar reason? Is it a surface area? I don't know that much about pine, but I would assume so because if pines are anything like she oaks for the next thing, which is what makes she oaks my favorite tree. No, no, this this next factoid is what makes the she oaks my favorite tree. All right, is because um, during winter Mm. in Australia, there's more moisture in the air. Right, it's more humid. Mm -hmm. Um, So to make sure it gets enough water because even if it's more humid during winter it doesn't always rain mm. um you know how dewdrops collect on the ends of leaves and mm. blades of grass and that yeah the she oaks the fact that it's got all of these countless countless um cladophyll or needles yeah dewdrops will form on the ends of oh all gosh. of the things and the way that the branches are uh, the way that the branches grow and the leaves grow, they sort of droop down and sag down. So as dewdrops form on it in the morning, it'll weigh it down and it'll drop the drops at the base of the tree. Mm. So in essence, so the shade... watering itself. Yeah, it's a self-watering plant. Oh my it golly! It harvests moisture from, from the, the air, air and waters itself. And what a- Golly gee! And that is why the shade is my favourite tree. Yeah, no, tree. I'm sold. That's... That's a, we love a self-sufficient, mm-hmm. independent woman who don't need mm-hmm. no he oak. So if you're ever in the forests of Western Australia, and these forests extend as far north as, you know, Kalamunda, possibly more north up near the city, and stretch all the mm. way down Serpentine, Jarradale, dwelling up, I think even as far as Denmark and Pemberton, mm. it's all a very similar um, mm. region of forest. You can find... She oak trees look for, they've got crumbly bark. They look like they've got pine needles, but they're mm. lumpy and they're rigid and they're, and they're beautiful. Gosh. I think I'll, I'll leave it at Jarrah and she oak yeah. for the interest of time. But you know, yeah. normally I can fill up a two hour session oh. of talking about all of the different trees. We'll, we'll have trees with Matt <laughs> can be a semi-regular segment on the show. Where I, I just gush about the specific forests of Southwest Australia. Yeah, you think it. I'm kidding. I am not. <laughs> I am here for a semi-regular, instead of a listener question, every so often we do a trees with Matt. Um, or, oh, sorry, mm-hmm. I, sometimes my co-workers listen to the show, so I'm sure I'll get uh, told if I've uh, misrepresented <laughs> any of these bush facts. And That's if right. I have, you I'll... can come on and correct it next time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, I'm just hyped for nature now looking at all the trees outside ready to go to the Mm -hmm. snow i hope you listeners are in as good a mood as i am right now (laughs) and i hope that you have a delightful day have enjoyed the show if you want to catch more of us if you don't already follow us on social media at curiosity rat we're on insta we're on facebook we are on twitter for the moment um (laughs) pending (laughs) we'll see things we also have a patreon so we make this show entirely for free because we want all of this information to be available to anyone who wants it entirely for free having said that this is our holiday and here we are doing work um so if you happen to just have a spare couple bucks and you really appreciate the work that we do feel free to chuck it our way you can do that via patreon just find curiosity killed the rat on patreon um and with that, peace out, homies. Have a good one. Latest Go game. hug a tree. Go outside. Yeah, hug a tree. Bye. Curiosity. Kill the rat. Curiosity. Kill the rat.